back. It's the <laughs> reunition. What's up, Michael? It's the real Star Strive story duo. <laughs> Finally. Back at it. <laughs> We've been waiting for that for way too long. For way too long. It's been months. It's been months with the big reunions here. <laughs> Finally, it was about time. This is Michael. Day one fans will remember me from Star Strive Star Season 1. We got this shit started back in the day. All the veterans gonna remember that. All the veterans gonna exactly. remember the good days, the good old this, days. This episode is gonna show who the real OG fans are. That's true. Back back in the days, <laughs> grinding from that one bedroom apartment, recording the shows. That was really good, man. You know it in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in the, on the kitchen counter, whatever and, it takes. And I remember editing like some of the episodes in the Denny's Denny's breakfast diner uh down the road that was the best thing you gotta remember those 5 a.m days bottomless coffee at denny's yes, five sir. cups into it that's good stuff <laughs> well we're back what's up it feels great to be back to be honest been it waiting does? for this. this this feels good yeah yeah uh, michael great. what are we doing here why why are we doing this what call? are we doing exactly so what are we doing this is interesting because this episode of star stripe stories is going to be a little bit different than what you guys are used to because right. today I'm gonna be your host, and Theo is gonna be sitting on the hot chair. I'm He's sitting on the other side. Today. The, I'm sitting on the other side of the table. Exactly. It's weird. I have to say, I have to you admit, know, it's super weird. <laughs> Theo has made a lot of experience over these last couple of months that he's been traveling all across the states and been just gathering these amazing guests for interviews, whether it was in Germany or in San Diego, anywhere. Right. And I think it's just fair that. We give it all a review. So what happened in season two is what we're going to talk about today. Right, a little best of show. That's what we're going to do. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be a little recap of what's been going on. We're going to put in some of our own opinions. And yeah, we're just going to get it started, I guess, right away. So no more talking. Let's get into it. As everybody knows, we started our Star Stripe stories together. Right. But I've been in Germany for the last couple of months since I graduated last May. So Theo's been doing his own thing, and honestly, it's been great. It's, it's been really interesting to watch him follow. I, I love you. listening to the interviews. Thank you so and much. And it was just so informative, really, really a lot of great stuff that's been going on over there in the States. That leads me right into my first question. Theo, what was the biggest difference from Star Stripe Story Season 2 to Season 1? There's actually quite some differences you can say so to begin with obviously the most you know like um thing that caught the attention first is that i'm doing it by myself and that leads to a lot of challenges and a lot of issues because doing a show by yourself just is more challenging in terms of that you need to be better prepared first of all and you need to be super focused while doing the show because I mean, as you can imagine, and you've been there, you've done that. We, when we did the interviews together, it was like always kind of a really good teamwork. We were helping each other out. Okay, at some point you got lost. I was jumping right into it. At some point I got lost and you helped me out. And this couldn't happen anymore. And I was doing it by myself. So obviously it's really hard doing basically all the tasks by yourself, reaching out to guests by yourself. Second thing I, I try to make it a little bit more professional just in terms that I had in terms of that I was using the summer to work a lot on like 
um, that I was pre-recording a lot of the episodes that I was doing, like actually planning out a marketing concept and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't, um, I think when we started, we started really from scratch and just went out there and did it and it was great. And this time it was more thought out. Um, it was, everything was more prepared, I guess. And those are the main, probably I, I, I was able to take it a little bit more to a professional level just due to the fact that I had more time. Um, and I think that was something that really just took the whole podcast to another level, but it was obviously time consuming and not, not easy. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine because I still know what it was like when, when we've been doing it together it was back already, in Phoenix and it was already, it was already quite time consuming. Like, so doing that by yourself has, has to be a whole nother job. That's, that's one thing. I mean, one of the differences back in Phoenix, we were literally, first of all, that was a big difference. It was like, we were putting episodes out there every week. And now it's like, what I'm doing is every two weeks, which buys me a little bit of time, you know? But then on the other hand, like the week. So for example, our goal was to publish uh, Sunday and we had the interview maybe Friday and then we had whole Saturday and whole Sunday to do all the stuff to edit all the stuff and like prepare our social media marketing for it stuff like that and this time it was really I pre-recorded episodes maybe two three months before I published them so I was ready you know so I was using the whole summer to basically gather some episodes and planning the whole thing out so it bought me a little bit more time and I was able to focus on other stuff instead of like worrying about oh how is the interview going to be like do I actually gonna am I gonna actually have an interview this Sunday uh am I prepared for all that stuff so that was basically the one probably one key takeaway from this episode is to learn to schedule my episodes ahead and plan ahead of things that's right i do remember that a lot of times we didn't even have like an interview guest for sure we we didn't even know who was going to come on the podcast like very last right. minute so a lot of times we were working against the clock right. where where we were just trying to put out an episode on sunday but and right really now i had my schedule for set. sure i had my schedule set after the summer i was like i i knew exactly what day i'm gonna release an episode with who with whatever guest is on the show so that was exactly super yeah that was really good and speaking of which you just mentioned it briefly but let's just rewind it a little bit so in season one a lot of the guests obviously came from our university and people know that and a lot of people right. came just were just our university professors so it was kind of obvious how we made the contact how we got in touch how all the podcasts came to be Right. You just mentioned it briefly that you started organizing the new podcast for season two already over the summer. Right. And and I think this is probably a question that you got asked a lot that a lot of people might be wondering is how the podcast with those new people on season two came to be because they all come from a very different background mm -hmm. than what we experienced first in season one. They all have like very unique styles. They're in unique places, working mm -hmm. on unique things. And they, so, I it's great that you mentioned that because that's one of the mm -hmm. that's one of the goal of the podcast right to actually capture american society and as we all know it's really diverse it's really different um you really meet a lot of characters here in the states and that is one of the goal as i said to um have a great diversity 
have a lot of different people with different field of expertise and kind of like capture society. And I think I achieved that. I'm actually really proud of that. Um, but yeah, reaching out to guests is something that is a, quite a bit of a challenging. Uh, but the thing is like the way I do my research and the way I hear about guests is basically staying woke a little bit, I guess. Um, being aware of what's going on, like what are the hot topics right now in the States, what is highly discussed within society and stuff like that. I definitely do more research in terms of that I'm reading more, not books, but especially newspapers, um, which kind of helps me to realize what people want to hear um, and especially realize, okay, what field I should dive into and then then you start doing research um, within a specific topic, within a specific niche, and we reach out to guests. And that's basically how it happens, right? Most definitely, you got to stay ahead of it. Yeah, that's for sure. But it's a really subtle, like it's really a subconscious um, thought, right? Because it's not that you actively sit down in Starbucks and say like, all right, today I'm going to reach out to five different guests, you know? It's it's a, it's yeah, a subtle no. thing. It mm -hmm. comes over time, right? Sure, sure. You start picking up things, and mm -hmm. you hear about some things more than about others. So, and then oh my, that might be it. interesting mm -hmm. for the podcast. Exactly. That might be interesting. All right, let's let's try to make it. Let's try to reach out to people who work in that specific area, right? Sure. So let's pick up my initial question. How did a lot of these interviews come to be? Mm -hmm. I, I imagine we talked about it. a lot of people asked you. About about that a lot of people yeah. are interested in how you reach out to these people how you make the first contact then how you develop the discussion and how it actually right. comes to the meeting when you record the podcast and from what i've heard is that not all the podcasts have been recorded like in your immediate area yeah like you've been doing a, lot, a whole lot of travel just to right. record those interviews so and this is tell us about that this is something that is another goal of of starstripe story is always going to be another goal I try to meet my guests in person. And I think that is really valuable to me to have that face-to-face -face conversation instead of just doing a Skype call and stuff like that. So I always try to meet them in person. And then your original question is, I, and that's probably really funny as well, I reach out to my guests mostly over Instagram. And even sliding though that sounds kind of weird, I'm, yeah, I'm sliding all my guests into the DMs. <laughs> 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 exactly exactly that's that's basically what i'm doing most of my job here at star stories is sliding others into the dms <laughs> shout out to a couple of guys but um basically what i'm saying is that it's really not the way you would imagine right like that's not the typical way you would reach out to people usually the perception is all right you shoot an email or you maybe give a phone call and stuff like that but I found out that reaching out via social media is my, it's the most successful thing I can do. Writing emails is mostly you don't get an answer in phone calls. People probably won't pick up their phone because it just says a random number from Phoenix and they think it's some weird guy who's trying to sell something, you know? So reaching out over social media was probably the best thing that I could do. And it's really funny because that's, that's really something I think where my generation, like that stuff, for example, in the business world, if we, if we take it to another level, that that's where like, for example, like older generation, the baby boomers can learn from us. Um, kind of like, how do you integrate social media outreach in your whole business, uh, in, in, in the business side of things, you know? Yeah. And I love that it actually works that way. Exactly. 
because people would not expect that because mm -hmm. like Instagram is something literally everybody uses every day, like every 10 minutes right. you, you refresh your Instagram feed. I reached out and to people with 600,000 followers on Instagram and they said, yeah, sure. sure, let's make it happen. You know, like, and it's not like, again, it's nothing is impossible. Like you can actually reach out to people who have a huge following base and they're going to respond in most of the cases. Yeah. And, and I love that. And, and I love that you mentioned it. Like a lot of people have this perception of that. It's so hard to reach out to people, even make contact. And, and it's not unjustified in a lot of cases. It probably mm. is like you mentioned it, especially like all the old generation and they're not even that old. I'm just talking about like 40, 50 year old, right? That's fairly old, but it's not like really old. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Exactly. So, yeah. I love I love that it works that way. You mentioned it is like we kind of have an edge on that compared to compared to other generations that we're so interconnected. Yeah, but I I do want to say that reaching out to guests is really hard, and that's my biggest challenge of the podcast because I'm first of all I'm really picky when it comes to my guests. I want super high quality guests. That is one of my biggest goals, and I hold hold myself accountable to the standard that I actually want to capture American society. So, right. As we said, I want to have like a, a, a great a variety of guests and variety of field of expertise. So I turned down a lot of uh, interview requests just to have, just to maintain a certain standard and just to maintain a certain quality. So that is quite challenging to choose one guest over another. One thing that I would find interesting and I assume a lot of people, because since you're reaching out through Instagram, can you just give us a little insight on what is your success rate? Do you get left and read a lot? Or? I do get turned down as well. So I, I can't imagine. Yeah. A lot of people say no. A lot of people say I'm actually too busy. But if I'm really honest, um, it is going quite well. So most of the people that I reach out to, they actually say yes. And oh, that's sweet. That's nice. And that is really nice. That is really, really nice. I, I got turned out by one organization kind of that frustrated me a lot because I already scheduled an appointment with them and I got turned down last minute and then they couldn't make an alternative date. So that was quite frustrating. But most of the people I reach out to, they never say no. You know, they never say no. The only thing is that sometimes they don't reply. That's the only thing. But right. I, I like really rarely that people say no most of the people say yes and then it's a matter of finding the right date finding the right place to meet and all that stuff because that's day-to-day -day struggle so for example i don't have a conference room you know and I'll, i i don't want to invite my guests to my to my place you know i don't want to invite them to right. like some random apartment like i want to i want to yeah like offer them something you know and i don't have my own room so that's quite a challenging most of like the organization around that stuff. Cause I remember in season one, right? Most, most of our guests were our mm -hmm. professors. So it was really easy to just pick a classroom and all we of a sudden, campus. Yeah. right, mm -hmm. right. This is not going to work. This is not going to work anymore. So you got to find a way. Sure. All right. So before we really look into it and take more specific looks at, at the individuals that you interviewed, mm -hmm. my last question before that is what was one thing about season two that you never expected? That's really hard. One thing that I probably never expected it the way it happened. This can, was, 
can be good or bad, either one, good so or bad. The first thing that I never expected was the fact that a lot of people answer to my messages and actually say, yeah, let, let's do it. Um, so that was something I would never had expected. So in the beginning, I was just like shooting my shot at DMing some people. And I thought like, probably not going get, to get an answer, but might as well. And so that was really surprising. And then I would say the whole interview with Ben Church, the Out Here Visuals interview, that was just crazy. Like the trip to LA, the hotels that we booked, um, the, the second hotel we had to book, um, then the place where we met, it was just, we made it work, but against all odds. So that was awesome. Give people a little refresher on that, telling what happened, because I think it's just funny of a story. You can tell it all. It's again. a great story. It's a great story. <laughs> and, I, and I think we can, we can actually start with that. I shoot with a lot of up and coming artists and kind of help show moments that you wouldn't get to see of their life. I don't really prefer to shoot them on stage. I'd rather shoot them in a moment where they're having fun or smiling or just catch them in the moment. Well, art has always been like my main form of release or passion in life. I used to paint and do graphic design before I did photography. But I've always I've always done photography like picked up family members um, cameras and went on trips with my friends skateboarding and went two hours out of the way during high school and captured them skateboarding and just like the life that we were living but yeah. it was never my camera so I never picked it up full time um, hard work and determination like turnover times like when I do a photo shoot and hang out with someone in a studio most of the time I get all their photos back edited to them either the morning like after or literally like a couple hours after so it's like convenience and right. the style that I bring to the table like yeah. I rather just capture an interesting moment and show people art rather than follow the rules I try to go against it and that is Ben Church aka out here visuals with his best off right and what a character oh, I yeah. honestly I honestly love listening to this one mm. even even though there were little complications about it and and the audio is a little rough but right I can just recommend to anyone that is even though it's a little harder to listen to it than the other ones, it's, it's most definitely worth it. There is so many little gems all throughout the interview. Right. It's a cool interview. And the story behind it is probably even better. So I was, I mean, some of the veterans, they know, again, I'm or like, I'm driving a really old car. It's 20 years old, 23 1996 years old. Lexus. Lexus. We bought it together. Lexus. So I think that's a sweet story. Um, yeah. And I and I took it to LA for the first time. I know you took it to Las Vegas once. To Vegas, yeah. To Vegas, mm -hmm. but I was it was the first time that I took took the car to Cali, and I'm I'm in Arizona, so it's a five hour drive to LA, um, and I was worried and um, stuff like that. So I took it to LA. It worked out well, um, even though I was afraid the whole drive. I was afraid. The whole drive and then i booked it it's a gamble for sure right <laughs> it's a big gamble it's like 50 percent of wrecking it and then and then i mean 
you know, LA is super expensive just living there. So I had a, I booked a motel and I know it, like it was, was, it looked all right on the pictures, but then I got there and it, it legitimately looked like a drug cartel. Like it looked horrible. So I was, I said like, there's no way I'm going to stay here that night. Um, so I had to book another hotel. It was like some cheap as motel i don't know it was it was not it was not great but it was all right and then i was supposed to have the interview with ben um or out here visuals at my hotel room in the morning and then he was busy in the morning he couldn't make it so it was another challenge that i had to face it was another problem so we had to meet at some random park and i wasn't really sure about that interview and i was at the point where i was done i was like i just want to get that interview get the heck out of here and then drive back to phoenix and hopefully i make it and so we met at some random park in la then as i said i was over it there was like a little lake and there's like these swan shaped boats I was like, yeah, might as well. It could be a nice idea to record the whole interview on a boat on a lake in the middle of LA. So I was like, that was really special. And we made it happen and it worked out quite well. And the guy's super nice. The guy has a great vision. As we said, as we said, um, and you guys list, just listen to him. He's, I think he's great. His story is really inspirational. Most definitely. One thing that really caught my attention in that interview was the fact that he's trying to catch people in the moment right. that, that he might just go hang out with some rappers and not shoot anything for hours. Right. That he just sits there, observes them, like recognizes their, their little behavior patterns, some, mm-hmm. some moves that they do, something that's characteristic. For and them. he says it in the interview, like he says he wants to be invisible basically like he's hanging around mm-hmm. studios with those famous dudes like trippy red he has like 7 million followers like they are characters they're superstars yeah. and he just randomly makes friends with them and chills with them in the in, in the studio and then takes like pictures and and i think it's really mm-hmm. difficult first of all to deal with these characters but also the the reason why he's so good is because he doesn't try to force it he just goes out there and does it you know and that's that's so yeah, good. exactly that's so good about his style and what I got from it is that he lets his work speak for itself. He's not like a big promotion guy and I'm not a big talker not, not like here. Yeah. Like I'm the best at this and whatever and whatnot, but he just really, he, he goes there, he becomes invisible and, and does his job. Right. And he can do it. It was and, the first time it fast. He was the first time he was on a podcast and like, to be honest, he's not the most communicative guy um so i think like photography is actually the perfect job that he picked up um and you kind of like he had to warm up during the interview a little bit like you could see that he didn't feel comfortable in first place just doing the interview um but then he warmed up a little bit and i think i quite i quite helped him to feel comfortable um while the interview was going and 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 yeah he delivered I think it was, it's a great interview. And just the fact also really inspirational again, like he didn't learn photography in the first place. He just picked up a camera and just went out there and did it. I think that's super cool. And that's with the most of the things like you, you can educate yourself as much as you want to, but in the end you got to go out there and do it. Sounds cheesy, but that's the way how it is. Great that you're mentioning it. Cause that was going to be my next point. Cause I think a lot of listeners could get the impression that 
Ben just picked up a camera, went to LA, and became a celebrity photographer overnight. But and we can listen to it in his best stuff. It's not the case. He's been taking photos, working on that ever since his high school days. And and you might think that's just like he's just taking pictures of his friends and whatnot. But those are the hours he has put in before. I, I no, exactly. never be successful overnight with anything you do. And the only the, the few people that were successful overnight, that's like not even 1% of the population. Like you will never be successful overnight. And it's a process yeah. thing. And it's like, it sounds cheesy again, but everything is just process, process, process. Same with this podcast. Like I didn't have the expectations to have 3 million listeners or viewers in the first with the first episode like no it's a slow process you slowly start to increase the numbers of listeners you slowly start to work on yourself and that's all of a sudden might it might get good and might get successful one day that's how it is sure yeah that that was my whole point like what what my, what might seem like an overnight success from from the podcast but if you listen to closely like he spent hours and hours just taking pictures and just reflecting in his success nowadays mm-hmm. And it's all about connections. Yeah. It's, it's really all about connections when it comes to that. And to, when you want to work, I think like when you want to work within that entertainment niche, especially in Cali, where there's tons of people that are trying to make it, it's really all about connections and making friends and, and, and treating other people the right way and always try to rely on others. And I think that's really great because we're, we're living and it's a little bit off topic, but sometimes we're living in a society where everybody's just trying to focus on themselves. They're promoting stuff like self care. You just got to take care of yourself first. I don't really think it's that way. I really think it's more of like a 50 50 thing. Of course you have to look at your own shit. You need to get your shit together in first place. But then on the other hand, you really got to treat your friends the right way. You really try to treat your environment. You got to make good connections. You got to focus on networking. And I know it sucks sometimes. It's not easy, but that's the way to go. Sure, sure, yeah, couldn't agree more. Knowing the right people can skyrocket your career, having the right relationships. I'm feeling the coffee right now. Showing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so since you're ready then, let's look at the very first episode of season one, which is Julius Bandelar. I I came over to the United States uh, and played college basketball in 2003. So this was during the uh, George W. Bush presidency. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it was the war in Iraq, it was Afghanistan, it was George W. Bush and, you know, leading the country into a major economic crisis. So that was the time when I was studying political science. And of course, that was also the time when Barack Obama entered the the national political Uh sphere. Uh, So it was tremendous time for change and a great climate for politics and to get involved. Only one of my... Uh, classmates who was, uh, um, you know, at least arguing that torture was something that uh, should be taken into account um, in order to combat terrorism, said, well, Julius, you just don't understand it. You weren't here on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I remember how that stuck, right? I mean, those just, you know, y- you don't understand it because you weren't here on 9-11. And that sort of explained to me how emotional politics can be. That was a, was a tremendous speech when Barack Obama came yeah. in and said, you know, we're talking about polarization today. Back then in 2004, uh, Obama gave that speech where he said, it's not the red states, it's not the blue states, it's the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Frustrated with the wars, people were frustrated with the financial crisis. And then, of course, Barack Obama came in and said, we need a change. And mm-hmm. boy, me and, and, and other people just saw the opportunity to be part of something historic. What was your job? I was a field organizer. 
I mean, I, I started out at the very bottom of the ladder, right? Yeah. Um, I was in Pickens County, um, and my job was to knock on doors, to organize volunteers, uh, to make calls to potential volunteers, uh, meet with them, get them on board, um, and build a grassroots movement uh, that would be that would, that would help us and allow us to talk to as many people as possible. I think what you do need to do is, and we talked about this earlier, is to try to put yourself in the shoes of others. And all of a sudden, politics doesn't need to be national anymore. Yeah, you need to figure out where to connect on an individual base. So. If you go to Pickens County or you're in Arizona mm. um, and you walk down the street, you know, mm. people care pretty much about the same things. They want That's their true. kids to be able to do a little bit better than they did themselves. Mm. Right? Mm. Uh, they want opportunity. They want, um, you know, safety and security, you know, yeah. basic human needs. Yeah. And I think in politics, this is what we should focus on. Yeah, this was a special interview, to be honest. This was really special. Just... Let's give people a little background again. So Julius Vandalar, he was part of former President Barack Obama's campaigning team. Right. In 2008 and 2012. Okay. Tell us about the podcast. How did it come to be? So first of all, a little bit of background for myself again. These campaigns, 2008 and 2012, they're historic. I mean, we all remember. Yes, we can. We all remember that. And... People are going to remember that for a long period of time. We all remember the change campaign. We all remember the hope campaign. So it's not just a random campaign. He was part of history. And I think that's so great. And then I actually heard about him listening to another podcast, another German podcast. And the, the podcast is called New Ways to Work or something like that. It's, it's a good one. And I listened to him. And obviously, the first connection that we have is we both went to the States and played uh, we play college sports or we play college sports. And I think that was the, right. the reason why we linked um, so quickly, kind of, because we share same passions. And then I'm also really passionate about like politics in general. It's a huge field of, field of interest that I have. And, and so I wanted to have him on the show. And I reached out to him over Instagram. I DM'd him again. And he said, sure, you can come to Berlin. And I was like, heck yeah, this is going to be awesome. I was so happy about it. I'm so happy about this connection. I can't imagine. It sounds cool just taking a little trip up to Berlin and getting to right. an interview with like somebody that interesting. Who has, I imagine he had a lot of interesting stuff to tell you. Oh, of course. And the thing is, we did a day trip. I actually went with my dad. So shout out to my dad for so much support. Like a lot of the stuff that you see actually is heavily influenced by my dad just in terms of he's a graphic designer he helps me with some stuff if i need a logo if i need a certain design he's usually there and and, and helps me with some of that work um but we might be able to talk about like kind of like my team and help maybe later on the show but julius that was cool we did a day trip to berlin um woke up very early in the morning and 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 take the plane to berlin and uh yeah, I met him. He's a super nice guy. He's really tall. He has you from the first minute, really organized. He's living in a, or he's basically working from a really nice um, office in Berlin. Everything's super open, super, you know, like, yeah, it looks really new and it looks really good. The guy has definitely all his stuff together. And then, yeah, what, a, what an amazing career, right? He comes from Germany, plays D1 basketball, always has the dream to actually my uh, make the league and, and play for some NBA team. And then it doesn't work out because he's injured. He gets injured. 
and then he studying political science and has the chance to work with former president Obama. And I think that's awesome. And again, he starts off and we just listen to that in the best off. He starts up really from, from like the lowest spot and he works all his way up to become one of the most important people within that whole campaigning thing. So I think that's great. Yeah, that's crazy. That's great. That's a great career. That's oh, most sure. definitely a cool guy to, to get on your podcast. And, and he, I think he really represents what Star Drive Stories is all about. Exactly. He's the perfect example of, of someone who experienced both cultures and shares his field of expertise and the guy who forms in an American society, but also has a huge impact on the German society and German culture. I think that's awesome. Sure. Yeah. One thing that resonated with me the most from his best of, you can listen to it in there. And if you haven't listened to it properly, go back and listen to it again. Cause really worth it. we cannot emphasize it enough is put yourself in the shoes of others. Right. Like, thing. we just got to say that again, put yourself in the shoes of others. And I think nowadays, this is something that so many people lack or never even try to do. And I think we will be so much better off. People will be so much more empathic. They Nobody right. will be as stressed. No, there will not be nearly as much conflict or like little arguments, whatever. If you try to do that more often, just really sometimes just take a step back and think about just think about it for a second. And it's so true. Because in America, I don't know how it is in Germany, but in America, it's really polarized politics, not only politics, but you have a team mentality of Democrats, you have Republicans. There's no center, right? You only have right and left and, and there's no political progress in any debate. It's really hard. And if and he really talks about that. And that is one getaway, a key getaway I, I, I got from that episode is that if you actually want to talk to someone who has the opposing opinion, start with the values. I think that is great. He says, none of us wants to live in an overheated environment. Everybody wants to send their kids to school. We all want opportunity. And that is something really basic. That is a basic human need. It's not something special. And it shouldn't go along with a party mentality or with a identification with a certain party and that is something that i took away you can actually argue with people with an opposing opinion and it's really good to have a political discourse it's super important yep and okay so you haven't really been in germany for that long for like a lot of consecutive months, yeah. a long period of time now i've been back in germany now for, for almost half a year mm -hmm. five months and from what i've experienced i can tell you that we're definitely getting there. We're, de we're definitely mm. getting to where America is right now. It's, it's becoming more and more polarized. It's like an open dialogue is almost impossible. And people will just reject each other's ideas right away. And I think that whole aspect of putting yourself in the shoes of others is, is getting worse and worse by the day. Mm. And it comes back to what he says, what, what you just mentioned it basically, but what you can also get from his best off is that in terms of politics, people don't ask for that much. Right. It's really, it's really not Great that point. much that people ask for. They have, it's basic needs. Like you said, if people want a roof above their heads, some food on the table and, and opportunity, especially for their kids. They, they want to at least have the feeling that their kids will have the chance to do better than they did. And that is something that gets so neglected by politics nowadays that it's really lower social class that 
a lot of politics is based on like most people are working class people and right and you can't just forget about them like you have to care they the, do not ask for that much the people the people here in arizona they don't care what's going on in capitol hill they don't care what's going on in washington like they care what's going on on their street you know they right. they care what's what's going on in their lives and sometimes politicians need to make a, a connection and i think that basically is the best achieved by applying to people's emotion and that was one question i had for him is basically how are you able to convince a lot of people how are you able to persuade people and i think that's interesting because there's two reasons or there's two ways first of all you can kind of present the facts and say all right this is plan this is plan one this is plan two i have a five point plan this is how we're going to achieve things you should vote for me or then there's the other way where politicians apply to people's emotions and they say, all right, no one, you want opportunity. You want your kids to do good, all that kind of stuff. And that is the reason why you should vote for me. And he really emphasizes on um, two things is basically a politician needs to answer two questions. Why me and why now? So it's not only about the politics. It's not only about the agenda. It's also about the timing. And that's really important. Love it. Love it. Great way to sum that up. Right. With that being said, let's have kind of an abrupt change of topics here and let's look into episode three of season two. Yeah. Ben Burgess. Well, wow. if you have to compete against the best of the best, yeah. you better be selfish, man. Yeah. You better be obsessed and you better be selfish because you cannot win that fight if you're not yeah. selfish and obsessed. And it starts in the early morning and it ends when you go mm. to bed. Because taking care of yourself the way you should do as a, as a high-performing athlete cannot out-train bad nutrition. Mm. You cannot out-eat a bad day of training. Mm. Or you cannot out-sleep a bad day of training. You cannot out-train a bad night so of sleep. So it's just part of a big puzzle. Yeah. Mothers, mothers of junior players or, or junior athletes come to me and they say, Oh, should my kid foam roll? Uh, should my kid have a smoothie? Yeah. Should my kid yeah. have this and that nutritional supplement? And I tell them, okay, listen, this is what we're going to do. Mm. Your kid is going to sleep right, eat right, and train right for only three months with no exception. Yeah. There's no day off, no exception. And then we'll see. Eat right, yeah. sleep right, do that for three months. Just do everything right for mm. three months. Mm. Everything. And then we'll see if you still need a supplement. The harder you train, the better results you will get. Total bullshit. Oh the harder you train, the more breakdown you'll have. Also for your tendons and your joints and also for your uh, neurological and your neuromuscular system. So, no, don't train too hard. Recovery is key. Let's move on to the next one. If you want to get faster, you need to train faster. Quickness is the subfunction of maximum force. Okay. So that's the best of episode three with Ben Burgess, physical therapist, definitely. So Ben Burgess, physical therapist, German and American background, once again, fits into Star Stripe stories perfectly. How did the podcast come to be? Got to ask was, again. Yeah, I was working with Ben. Um, I was injured actually quite some time before I came to the States. So I was working with him and this guy, just to say that again, he's, he's doing everything. And that guy has way more hours than the normal people have in a day. This guy is so productive. He has so much stamina. 
he's awesome. He's awesome. Again, he's a physical therapist for top athletes. He's a coach, a strength and conditioning coach for top athletes. He's um, an expert when it comes to doping and raising awareness of its dangers. And he's just a super nice guy, super communicative, great voice, and just super motivational, right? So I knew him. I know Ben really well. We're good friends. And I was like, Ben, jump on my podcast. We're just going to talk for an hour and it's going to be fun and it's going to be great. And that's what happened, right? And he said, yes, I like the idea. I love it. But again, that's you see that Americans love the fact when people do stuff and they love the they love entrepreneurial mindsets and they love um side hustle things so he was like he was on it the moment i told him about the podcast he's like yeah great project let's do it let's make it happen and and i love that mentality and that's again that's a really american character trait most certainly and and i really miss that over here americans love when you take the initiative and I just feel like over here in Germany, when you tell people that you're kind of doing your own thing, you're trying to start your own thing, they always look at you like, oh man, that's weird. Like, and that is like something I experienced with a podcast. So when I, when I tell Americans about that, or when Americans ask me about the show and I tell them about it, they're all really hyped about it. They say, yeah, that's, that's so great. Cool, man. That's great. That's great. <laughs> and it might be superficial. Like, I don't know if they actually mean it. Um, but, but they still seem to, Hey, let me, let me get the name. I'll, I'll give it a try and stuff like that. I don't know if they actually listen to it, but it's just the perception thing. Right. And in Germany, a lot of my friends from back home, people from back home, they, first of all, they ask me, Hey, what is this? They're really, what is a podcast? What is a, a podcast? don't even know what is a podcast. It is, is gaining momentum, but here in America, just podcasts are way bigger than they are in Germany, but the mm-hmm. people are a little bit hesitant. I guess they don't approve it as much as Americans approve. And we talk about that with Ben and Ben claims work is work. He says that he said work is work. And he says that American have their by uh, the, the, the Germans, they're biased towards work. They think stuff like calculus or engineering is more important than sports or is more important than oh, doing for a sure, For sure. Yeah. You get yourself a job in the automobile industry in Germany and like, you said, man, you're the king on the hill. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but if you do anything in Germany, if you do anything kind of outside the norm, people have a problem with that. In America, it's just completely the other way around. Yeah, yeah, I miss that fact about about the United States. That's really one of the things I miss the most. I see that. Anyway, so best of Ben Burgess, what Mm. stuck out to me was, I think he says it right off, it's, it's just the fact about being selfish. And that is interesting because like everybody tells you not to be selfish. Like starting from when we're kids, like everybody tells your parents gonna tell you, don't be selfish, like share with others and all that. Like Mm. everyone on social media tells you to be altruistic, love others, put others first. And all that is fair, all they all have a point somewhere, but selfishness is important at some point. And I think it was Michael Jordan, one of the greatest athletes ever, who said like you have to be selfish at least to a point. Right. And w- once you get to that point, you can start not being that selfish. But until you get there, you have to be really selfish. And that is, especially as an athlete, and that's what Ben says, you need to be obsessed. You need to be selfish with what you're doing. And that leads to the fact that the most athletes, they become social 
social outsiders, right? And Ben highly put an emphasis on that, that if you want to go the extra mile, that if you want to be top athlete, you need to say no to so many things. You need to say no to the occasional night out. You need to say no to certain foods. You need to say um, no to certain events and stuff like that. Um, you can't just party with your friends all the time. And that and it makes you lonely, right? It makes you lonely because it's really rare. Sure. There's not a sure. lot of actual top athletes out there. So I not think... Not always fun. No, it's not fun. For sure not. And, and I mean, we both kind of can relate to that. Um, so... I, I felt when he said that it makes you lonely and people won't understand why you say no again to this pizza or why you say no again to a beer. So that was great. That was a really good, good message from him. Two other really nice points of advice that I liked from his episode. And this is, and here is why I liked him because I think this is one thing that literally anyone that listens to this podcast can apply to their own lives whether it is to eating habits or working out or their job, literally whatever. First thing is sticking to a plan. Like how important is that? Like how many times do we see people mm. who get really hyped about starting something new and that that's promising great mm. success, but they never get to see the success of it because they just don't stick to the plan. They, they get started. They do it for, they do it for some time, a couple of weeks, maybe even a month. Mm. But most people do not actually stick to it. And, and we talked about that. That's the project. Like that's the process. Like that's where mm-hmm. success is going to come. It's going to happen over time. It's not going to happen overnight. And that's kind of one thing with the gym there's, and you said it, there's people that like to work out for three weeks. They don't see the results they want. Right. They get on the crazy bodybuilder plan. They got on the internet. They get started mm-hmm. with it, hit the gym for three hours every day for three weeks. And they're yeah. like, oh man, this sucks. And I'm not seeing results at all. Mm-hmm. And that is honestly and, like, I was, I was struggling with that. That was kind of like an anxiety I have with a podcast because mm-hmm. that's still an anxiety I, I have is basically continuing doing it and maintaining the level because it's not easy, first of all, but I know a lot of people expect me to hold my hold my quality and, and maintain what I'm doing. And that's kind of a thing I'm a little bit anxious about, I would say. Yeah, sure. I can imagine. And this gets right into our second point from what anyone can apply to their lives right now. And that is sustainability. Mm. Your plan, you don't only have to stick to it, but in order for you to stick to it, it has to be sustainable. It has mm. to be something that you are going to be able to do for an extended period of time. It's not easy to figure that out as well. It's not easy to figure no, that out. It's, it's not. There's a lot of trial and error in it. And But once you do figure it out, once you do get an idea of, of what is a working plan for you and that is actually sustainable and you can stick to, I think this is that's promising a lot of success in the long term. And that's one thing. I would say embrace the fact that you failed. And that is another topic of Star Stripe stories. I don't want to dive too much into it, but that's what I'm saying. Like try out certain things and do it and see how passionate you are about them. See how sustainable you are with them. And then maybe it turns out to be your career. It turns out to be your job. It's your passion. But even if it's not, that's fine. At least you give it a shot. Sure. No, nothing wrong Certainly. with that. You know, nothing wrong with that. Certainly. And with that being said, let's look at episode four, Lars Lorge. Let's do it. And because people have like this, this drive there, 
there is like people people do have mental health issues there yeah um, yeah um, I can imagine I can imagine Harvard, like, it's Harvard, hard there is a lot of support structure by Harvard if you have any sort of you know depression and that that stuff happens friends of mine mm. were going through that stuff with I mean the kind of people that uh, end up there mm. they are competitive and they, they do want to succeed so often if they you know if they're a little bit inferior than their peers like mm. it goes to them like in a deep way and they it's hard maybe to sometimes get out of the bubble and notice right. that you know in the grand scheme of things it doesn't really matter if I get only 80 out of 100 at this mm. problem set you have to like learn to not compare yourself because yeah. especially at that place there will always be someone who's much better at what right. you're doing. I mean parents in for certain you know category of the applicants you know parents are wealth are wealthy mm. and it's not like they buy their children's way into Harvard but they they do you know it does cost money to give your children like a top-notch ed- education mm. so sure. they do they do tick all the boxes early to get you there and then uh, I mean parents in for certain you know category of the applicants you know parents are wealth are wealthy mm. and it's not like they buy their children's way into Harvard but they they do you know it does cost money to give your children like a top-notch ed- education mm, so sure. they do they do tick all the boxes early to get you there and then uh, as I said I mean I know people who are eighth generation Harvard students mm. and like it's almost automatic that like it's it's almost like Harvard doesn't want to mess up your streak this is just like your parents went there makes you more likely that you get in like that is I don't see any reason why that should be the case mm. like I studied applied math um, Jeez. and uh, <laughs> with a focus on computer science and uh, and uh, AI I mean now today uh, machine learning or deep learning is better at diagnosticizing uh, diagnosing uh, breast cancer right. given an image than, an, than a human expert and people like Elon Musk they say it's AI is the most it's, it's the biggest threat to humanity I think it's it's gonna be like slowly integrated into our uh-huh. lives, and we're gonna slowly start depending on it. All all the, all the way in the past, we always replaced kind of we kind of outsourced physical work that we right. produced with our fingers and our feet to a machine, and then started using our brain more, mm-hmm. more intellectual tasks. Mm-hmm. But what if now, with AI, if you also we only have basically in a, in a blunt sense one organ left, our brain. Yeah, if we outsource the capabilities of our brain to AI. Maybe this time might be different. Yeah. And that concludes the best of episode four with Lars Lorich, Harvard graduate, another interesting guest on Sorry Startup Stories. Mm. So Theo, once again, why don't you tell us how this episode came to be? How did you reach out to Lars? What is he all about? Funny, because Ben Burgess made that connection. We were just talking about that. He made that connection. He's obviously an athlete and he represents the show again. He represents it awesome, awesomely. He has he has a background from Germany, came to Harvard, studied there, and it's just so many questions I had for him. Um, I was, he gave me his number. I gave him a quick call, and we set up the interview. Everything worked out. But like this one, and probably this one was the one where I was the most anxious about the outcome of the episode because he's he's a G, you know, like he's <laughs> he's the real deal. Like he's crazy. He's he studied applied math with an emphasis on computer science and artificial intelligence at Harvard, you know, and I barely passed my math high school exam. So I, <laughs> yeah. I felt bad before that interview. I was I was I've afraid. Been there. Yeah. So I was afraid. I was like, 
what if that guy thinks I'm doing a bad job? So I was, I tried to, yeah, it was not easy. It was not easy for sure. So from what I've been hearing you say, you kind of had a little feeling of inferiority before the interview. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and, definitely. And that is something that we also get to listen a lot about in the actual episode because great point obviously when when you're an international student like most people who don't go to school in the united states have only heard from harvard they just think it's this kind of genius producing machine in boston Mm. and have so much respect for it and and for most people it's actually never going to be a possibility to to only take one class there, but he even graduated from there in, in, in such a degree as you explained, like applied mathematics was an emphasis in computer science. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's the real deal. And, um, and like, but, yeah, he, he talks about it. He talks about you get thrown into an environment where everyone is the best, right? We just listened to it in the podcast uh, or in the best off. And I think that's insane. I mean, you're really part of the top people. You're part of the elite, right? And, it's not easy to deal with that, right? Because everyone's better. Everyone, everyone's first language probably is English. It's not even your first language. You're an athlete on top of things. So you have the same yeah. homework. You have the same schedule that a regular Harvard students, but you also got to get up at six in the morning and do and, and raw for two hours, then hit the gym and then do your homework. And it's Harvard homework. You know, it's not just regular homework, right? Yeah, very tough schedule. And, and as you mentioned, like you belong to an elite at Harvard. Mm-hmm. So you would imagine all these people have their lives completely figured out. Like they're at Harvard, they're doing great in life. But he mentions that there's so many mental health issues on campus. And I think this is something that a lot of people would not expect. As I just said, like you were thinking they, they sort of have to be at Harvard. But this whole competition aspect of it and, and like I got to do better than everyone else got to be the best in my class got to get the highest grades it's causing a lot of mental health issues the people have too much success that's what mm-hmm. i'm telling you people in general have too much success and i don't mean only harvard graduates i mean yeah. just in general i think we all used to the fact that we achieve things and how so can can you dive into that a little more the, the whole having too much success can you explain that a little bit what do you mean by that if I look at my friends, if I really look at my environment, there's not a lot of stuff we actually fail. Mm-hmm. And I think that is crazy. I think our issues today, we're talking about getting into the right university. That is an issue. Or we say, oh, I got turned out by my ideal or favorite university, and this is failing for us. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, if you look at evolution, this is still not a failure, right? You're still going to be able to pursue an education. Just the fact that you get an education in first place is insane already. And it probably differs you from 90% of the people on this planet. But we still cry about it. We still cry about the fact that we didn't get into our favorite university, that we didn't get the grade that we want to. And I think that's first world problems. People have too much success in everything they do. I can't really remember the last time that 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 I really had to suffer an existential crisis and stuff like that. 
You know what I mean? No. And I don't want to yeah. say that everything that everything we touch turns out to be golden or turns out to be successful. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying like looking at evolution and look at the position that we all in as humans, we're extremely privileged. We're extremely privileged. And so sometimes I feel like right now we all talk about what's going on. We all talk about like the things that we're going through. If you compare really yourself and again, put yourself in the shoes of other people's, it's probably just a really small problem. Yeah, certainly. And I can relate to that. Um, honestly, luckily, we don't have to suffer a lot of existential crises, but that just makes us blow minor things really out of proportion. That, that's definitely for sure. Um, and that's the thing. Like, again, how are we ever going to deal with the fact or how are we ever going to deal with failure? If we all are just used to succeeding the whole time, how are we going to deal with it? It's going to be horrible for us. And also people always want to mask failure. Like nobody wants to tell you about how they fail. Right. Like anyone will just, right. even if it is a perceived failure, people will tell you about how they were, were pursuing a different thing in first place and, and, and how they never really failed. Like it's, it's something that's just, they feel is so looked down upon something that happens from social media i know we're way off topic but i think it's really interesting social media obviously portrays the fact that everybody's successful everybody has a great life and i remember we talking mm -hmm. about that and it might be nothing new but it really adds up to that whole thing we just see success every day we see successful no, every mm -hmm. we see successful people every day and we think that's the norm and we think everybody should be successful. And that's why I'm saying people have too much success. We would be a better society if we would fail more. Social media definitely contributes to that. And um, especially that we tend to forget the fact that your Instagram feed is a highlight reel of your life. It's, so, yeah, obviously and you're Lars not says gonna, that. Lars yeah, says it's a lot not, about comparison. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about comparison. Sure, if you yeah. start comparing yourself too much, oh boy, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be really bad. And that's that's things I struggled with the podcast in the beginning as well. You know, like I was thinking, all right, do, the people gonna like it. Are the people gonna like it? Is that fine? But right now, seriously, one thing that I learned is whatever I'm gonna like, and it sounds cheesy again. I don't care. I'm gonna do it, and the people not gonna like it. It's fine. It's really, as yeah. soon as I like it, I'm gonna put it out there. At the end of the day, it, it really doesn't matter whether people hate on it or not, because like you're probably not even here of it, like of most of it. And, and, and even if you do, it's not gonna matter. It's like somebody's opinion and that shouldn't outweigh you from pursuing what you love to do. Right, right. And I used to be a guy that really um focused on what other people's what other people think, and I still it's important. I, I I think it's important to not have a fuck you mentality. So it should be like, you still need to live with your roommates. You still need to interact with other people, right? It's still really important that you act according to some social rules. But then on the other hand, there has to be a point where you say, all right, this is my thing. I got to pursue it no matter what you think. Yeah, no, definitely. You, you should still be able to take criticism, especially if it's constructive criticism. Of course. But but still, you shouldn't. If you if you have a goal and you want to pursue that, then, then go and get after it. It's a fine line. It's a it's a really fine line because we all like to be liked. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? We all yeah. we all want affiliation. We all want appreciation of others, right? 
that's you're never mm -hmm. gonna get that out of our bodies so i would say this whole i don't care what you what you talk about me i don't care what you say about this this is bs it's it's wrong the people care about what others what others think but there's still a fine line where you gotta diff like make a difference between all right this is just truly what i want to do and i don't put a lot of emphasis on what others say and i just blindly follow what society wants me to do right sure all right i'd say let's look into the last episode of season five with isaiah gomez yeah i love that one let's let's jump right into it which i'm now realizing is it's something that like i've had a vision for since i was a kid since i was in right. fifth grade I can remember um, a dream about having a two-story house and having a bunch of kids live in it and just having a bunch of like fun things and resources. There's right. like about 15 to 14,000 youth in the system mm -hmm. and then average around 1,000 will age out. 50% will get a high school diploma, 3% and less will get a college degree. Um, one in four will be homeless. Um, we've had to kick out guys from the house for not following rules. Really? So the biggest is not trying to reinvent the wheel instead of using people who already are doing these things and saying, yeah. hey, we have guys who need your help. Like, yeah. how can you help them? And people, they love it. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we do it. We're doing Ascend, uh, not for ourselves, right? We're doing it to help these yeah. young dudes. Right. Yeah. We were gonna use the youth um, subsidy that they get from the state if they qualify to be in an independent living program. Right. So our program is an independent living program right. with the house. Any church that has property, mm -hmm. they qualify to have this type of program on there. It's really a lifestyle. Right. I really plan to do this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so um, I kind of form my life around it. So when I have to let go of a resident okay. because they're not following the policies, mm -hmm. like it's because uh, I mean, I just, I can't control that. Like, if they are not doing what they need to do, and right. we give them grace, and then grace, then some more grace, <laughs> and if, they, if they're still not showing that, it sucks because I, I heard that they're going to pay the, the price for that. No matter how broken this world is and how many kids in the system they're gonna be, mm -hmm. that I can still make an impact with one relationship. Right. So with any small privilege that I have, I wanna be able to utilize that mm -hmm. to then uplift someone and put them on my shoulders and that's that for the best off of isaiah gomez and honestly what an interesting guy i i just sure. love what he does I, I love what he stands for what he engages in he's a character no doubt about that it was fun it was fun talking with him it was, yeah, it was yeah sure um if and honestly like he he's done more for the community at his young age than most people have in exactly. their lifetime he really he really has that sense of community in our culture that is so individualistic nowadays. And, and it's missing out. I can really appreciate. Yeah, we're all missing out on some of the char character traits that Isaiah Gomez has. And the, the, the way why I wanted to have him on the podcast was, first of all, I wanted to have a, a local. I wanted to have a guy from Phoenix. I think, um, I mean, since I live here, probably would be great just to, to see what's happening in my city, what's going on in my city. Um, so I think that was interesting. And then just the fact that he's like 24, 25, that stood out to me. Um, Cause uh, yeah. Yeah. And let's pick that up. So my question for you is what about Isaiah stood out to you that you really wanted to have him on the podcast, except for the fact that he's from Phoenix. Like how did you 
first see him? Like, was it on social media? Did you did you see him in person at some type of conference? Like, how did how did that come to be? Like, and and why did you want to interview him so badly? Yeah, first of all, he, um, I found him on social media. So I found the pro uh, the project Ascend Phoenix. I found that on social media, and I wasn't quite sure what it is. So I started clicking on the link. I I I got more information about it. And I liked the project. Um, I also wanted to use. I guess the social, uh, the, the podcast more to kind of like, um, spread social, like a social cause. I wanted to really give someone the platform to talk about, um, a social project and kind of, you know, like a platform where he can promote what he's doing. Um, and yeah, I saw the, I saw the whole thing and I, and I loved it. And then I saw who was actually behind it and it was two young dudes, 24, 25, who kind of like sacrificed so much time to make to make this happen, and I think that was it's really impressive. It, it most definitely is really respectable. Like most people are rather self-oriented, and especially at that young age, like they're acting so maturely and really putting themselves and like their desires a little bit back. I guess right, um, right. But I think I think it's still it's important really to say that he is really going after his dream. Like what he is doing actually is his dream. And if you listen to the podcast or even just the best of, he's been dreaming of apparently like that two story house ever since he's mm-hmm. been in fifth grade and, and where he's just having kids and, and some having a fun time. And, and he really turned that dream into reality at such a young age. And while he's at it, he's doing something so great for the community, and, and I just love how. And I want to I want to say two things about that. First thing is, at the age of twenty four, twenty five, most of the people they worry about other stuff. They worry about probably pursuing a business career or pursuing some form of like resources. They want to make money. They want to make. They want to be successful. They want to do kind of whatever they want to do. And Isaiah is the complete opposite. He probably sacrificed seventy percent of the time to help others. And if I look at a lot of people in my generation, or even if I look at myself, everything I do or most of the stuff that I do is for self-improvement reasons or for myself. And, and I think that mm-hmm. some, that was a like huge inspirational. It was really inspirational because I was thinking, man, most of the stuff that you're doing, most of the work you're putting in a day, it's just for yourself. And I don't think that we humans are designed to do that, right? We're all social creatures. We should engage with each other. And again, you, you should have some form of um, competitiveness. You should have some form of confidence and egoism. But then on the other hand, if it takes over too, too many aspects of your life, it's really harmful. And then the second thing that stood out um, was, was probably, yeah, I forgot about that second thing that I was mentioned. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, worries. It's all good. You recover it. Yeah. But yeah, not not only does it not help others or, or your immediate community, it also really isolates you being too selfish. If, if you're just only acting from selfish ambitions, it can most definitely isolate you. And, and that is just unhealthy for anyone. And just a little quick fact that I heard about the other day. For... Our generations, which would be like millennials and Generation Z, what I heard is that like the most dangerous disease for us is loneliness. Like oh, I believe loneliness. That. Yeah, yeah, no, 
loneliness actually is as bad as the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And so much of what we do are big urban cities with those individualistic cultures. It, it isolates you. It's like, it makes you a social loner. So and, one, and that is really unhealthy for you. One statistic I was reading lately, I think in 20 years, 80% of the population in the Western worlds, they're going to live in cities. And if you look at characteristics or in urban areas, if you look at characteristics of cities or urban areas, it really isolate you get isolated because you living with so many people that you're just a number and you're not really an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Look at bigger cities, like people live in those like 15 story buildings and they have no idea what their immediate neighbor's name is. They probably have never talked to the guy. I always have a good comparison of that. If you go to a party with a lot of people, it is really easy to be by yourself. But if you go to a party with only five, six people, everything you do, you're going to get, you're going to have an impact or some influence on the others. So you're going to have some interactions at a huge party. You can be by yourself. You can be really isolated. And that's kind of how I see that whole thing with a city or with a more rural area. Um, and, and that's a problem, of course. And that's a problem. So it's great that you have people that actually create this sense of community in a big city like Phoenix. I think that's awesome. Exactly. And, really and especially for, and, um, that's really great especially for young adults who have not really any kind of authority in their life if they come kind of from abandoned homes if if they grew up in foster care and i'm not saying that all foster care is bad foster care is a really good thing for the most part it's a controversial topic there's good and bad sides to it but if you're somebody that doesn't really succeed in foster care and you're a teenager or 20-ish it's so important no years sense. as well yeah, like you, you have no sense of orientation and then you're already kind of a, a knucklehead and, and then if you mm. don't even have a group if you're isolated you're probably gonna do a lot of stupid things i know i would have done that right. if i didn't have like some sort of of social support and i mean brains are developed when friends. Yeah. we talked about that brains are developed by the age of 25 right so Mm -hmm. every decision that you're going to take when you're 17 16 18 it's probably not well thought out and i i mean we all like when you're 16 you're dumb (laughs) like you're stupid your decisions basically a chimp (laughs) right your your decisions aren't well thought out you know so how can you but the people still suffer from that like a lot of people they they have to live with the consequences of whatever they do when they succeed. And I think it's great that you have people that pick others up. But one thing I actually, um, I actually can't remember what I wanted to say a couple of minutes ago. Um, one thing that stood out to me was the fact that he combines his profession with his faith. So he is mm-hmm. a Christ following guy. He loves the Lord. And he's kind of the first one who makes that connection on the podcast. And that is, I, I really had to think about it. Um, and I feel like, all right, this is a great guy and he follows biblical principles. And I know I, I, I don't want to dive into that whole discussion about theology, but I feel like if a lot of people would just follow Christian principles or religious principles, I think this world will be better. 
Sure, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. And, and that's why I love this model. Because within this context of foster care, he really creates that sort of community where you have to take on responsibilities for yourself and others. But with those responsibilities, you can reap the benefits of what comes from like, like you receive the love that you give. Mm -hmm. That's true. So that's what I, yeah, that's, that's stuff, what I like. It's all promoted in the Bible. It's, it's mm -hmm. love others, love people, love God, love your neighbor, love your enemies. And that is something that our society is sometimes missing out, even on the part mm -hmm. like forgive others. And I'm not saying like Christianity is perfect. You know, like I'm not saying that this is the way to go, you know, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that too much, but I'm saying like, there's a lot of really good principles that you can pick up from the Bible. Oh yeah, most definitely. Like the Bible wouldn't still be the number one best-selling book like every year for the past two thousand years. <laughs> it was just complete. But I'm, like, I'm I'm still saying like religion is on a decline. So the people they don't follow it as much as they used to do, and it has some good mm -hmm. like pros and cons, of course. But still, I'm a little bit of a, like worried about what's going to happen once like religion. I'm sure. not saying Christianity in in general, but I'm saying like religion can like vanish uh from people's day-to-day -day life you know so it might be a little bit something harmful i don't know yeah i, I can see your point and because at least in western cultures like our value system mostly stems from christianity so i can see like what you mean that if we abandon the whole faith part of it that, that like what happens to our values are they at risk so we do live in a secular society mm -hmm. of course and i think that's good but then on the other hand, like our moral systems without the 10 exactly. commandments, yeah. our, we wouldn't be where we at without the 10 commandments or without the Bible. Yeah, and a lot of what human rights are stem from it. So we have to be careful about like completely just neglecting it and, and rejecting the whole faith part of it. But yeah, Bible, great book. We have to look critically at it. I don't think we should take any word of it for granted, but so much that you can learn from it. But yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah, that interview was awesome. That was like super nice because we didn't only talk about a scene at San Phoenix. We talked also about, and that's why I think it was a great fit for the podcast. We talked about like social benefits in Germany as well as in America and mm -hmm. kind of like how different the systems are here in America. The people are really have the perception. So basically whatever you do, you're responsible for it. So you fail. It's your fault and you might not be able to get an education, your fault it's your responsibility to do that. And in Germany, it's kind of the other way around. It's kind of the, it's kind of like the government helps you with a lot of stuff. Like when you fail, all right, there's still going to be financial aid. There's money provided for you. And, and we kind of talked about two different systems and I think it was quite interesting. Yeah. I, I like to pick up the thought. That was interesting. Cause remember just like a little while ago, we talked about, um, the whole mentality towards failure in the United States and in Germany. Mm. And, and it actually kind of makes no sense that Germany has that sort of attitude that it has towards failure with like being looked down upon and being scared to take chances because like it, it's, it's actually so much safer to fail in Germany than it is in the US because like if you fail, like you're gonna get picked up sort of. But the perception US, like, is wrong and yeah. And you that's where you make the you difference. <laughs> that's that's where I would make the difference. The perception of the people. Here in America, you fail. The perception is, all right, you go for a second chance. It's your yeah. it's your fault that you failed. 
but you will have another chance. In Germany, yeah. it is, all right, you fail, the government's going to pick you up, but the people will judge you. And I, that's where I draw the, probably like the, the, the general difference. I mean, again, we're generalizing a lot, but I'm generalizing a lot in the podcast. So it's, you have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to yeah. like social questions, I, I think you have to start generalizing. I assume so, because we can start a whole other episode on that topic. Yeah, of course. But with that being said, that concludes the five episodes from Star Strap Stories. Yeah, season two. two is done. Let's go. Theo, so w what did you learn from it? Is AI going to take over soon? No, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what did I learn? What did I learn from, from the season two? Season two, it, it taught me how to be a better host because, again, I was by myself. And it taught me that personal stories are really inspiring. I, and I think we should all listen to individual testimonies more often because we're going to learn a lot of it. And then it taught me how, in terms of like the organization, it taught me that I need to plan ahead of things because I'm also busy. I'm in school. I'm an athlete. So I have a lot of stuff to do in a day. So um, I needed to really plan ahead. And then... Also, it taught me that high quality is always the best approach to entertainment, business, everything you do. You should just, the first priority should be always your quality. And then stuff like listeners, viewers, su success, promotion, that's, it's all gonna f just naturally follow, <coughs> follows your quality. Holding yourself up to a high standard is what you're saying? Mm. And that's definitely what I'm trying for like season three and season three is going to come in. Um, they're going to do a little sneak peek here. It's going to come in January. Um, and the reasons for that is obviously because I want to maintain the same quality, but also my goal is kind of like to have only very few episodes to only have very few episodes, but these episodes are going to be awesome. So um, I really, I really want to have great, 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 great episodes, but maybe only a few. But as a matter of fact, they're going to be really high quality. So that's kind of my, my standard to that. So that's why I'm giving myself a little break and, and decided to keep that format. Because that's one thing, for example, like I really dislike about Joe Rogan um, is that he has so many episodes in a week. And I, I feel like some of it, of course, he is in a bit better position with like recruiting guests. I get that. Because um, he's just bigger, way bigger. He's the most successful podcaster in the world. Um, he gets basically whoever he wants to have on the show. And but still, I think it's a little bit overwhelming for the listeners, and it's just too much. You kind of get lost in what should I listen to and, and and stuff like that. I don't like that. Okay, fair enough. My next question for you is: What was your biggest wow moment of season two? The you can't really break it down to one moment. I think it was just the whole experience in general. It basically was that I was fortunate enough to travel a lot of places, traveled California, traveled Ohio, traveled Berlin. I, but I also met a lot of people. So that's basically two things. The opportunities I got just from the places that I traveled, but also the connections that I made with people. And I always try to stay in touch with my guests um even after the episode i try to 
um, talk with them after the episode, talk with them about their projects, follow their projects and see how everything turns out. And I, and that's great. And that's what I'm really blessed um, that I just were able to make great connections. It's a great networking tool to have your own podcast. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. And especially when it's such a good one. And that's a, that, oh, thank you so much, Michael. You're being <laughs> super nice today. You know, you're being a great host. Um, Which for so, me today, I'm always like that. Oh, uh, yeah, you're always really nice, but today's a little <laughs> extra. Tell me. Because <laughs> you, you can't give me shit today. You know, imagine you're like, I ask you to be my host and then you just completely rip off my whole podcast. Oh, I would. I would. I would. Don't worry about it. I totally would. <laughs> just be like, all right. I'm home back here. <laughs> season two is done, guys. <laughs> about time finally <laughs> finally yeah exactly. no but it's all right like it's all right and that's that's something i was i was fortunate and another wow we met wow moment or um occasion that always touches me is the outreach so when people actually email me or dm me or text me hey i just listened to that episode i think it's great here's some things that you could improve here's some things that i really like so getting feedback from people is so nice and is so great. It really motivates me. I, I would never thought that this is probably, and, and even if it's only one person that, that texts me, Hey, just listen to your episode. I think it's nice. Just helps me so much. I believe it. That's awesome. That leads us to my next question. And that is, what would you say, was the most informative about season two? Most informative is, I think for the people it was Ben Burgess um, because we played that little game where I asked him how like common myths and fitness and he kind of like elaborate on each one. I think that's just a great episode when you want to um, get a lot of knowledge from an episode. But then another key idea of Mr. Fondalaw was basically the thing all right start with the same values when you when you approach people with oppo opposing opinions um and then that was really big and then lars lars lorich i think that's one of the most informative episodes because it's not only harvard it's also about artificial intelligence and i want to pick up one thought that stood out it's probably the most Im informative thing during the whole season too it's basically the way he describes artificial intelligence he says we were during the industrial revolution we were at the same point where people were losing a lot of jobs due to technological technological change and advancement and but he kind of compares it to and what he says is during the industrial revolution revolution the people were outsourcing physical work so right now machines take care of physical interactions right we don't need to do everything handcrafted uh, no more like we can actually use machines to get you know like deal with most of the work that's out there but right now what's happening with artificial intelligence we're outsourcing our brain and that is a very interesting thought and something that scares me because he says there's basically one organ left and that is our brain because right the most people they work from home they work with their computers it's, everything is digital um, but right now, artificial intelligence is going to take over our brain, right? So how's that going to look like? And, and I think that was really interesting and something that scared me a little bit when he was talking about that. Yeah, that is interesting. And I can see 
why it would freak you out and it, it does freak me out a little bit too because like what would our brains come up with if they're outside right right and that, what's look and, at all the stuff that we have already come up with so right what would be next if you have like thousands of like super high functioning computers that are like our brains what would they come up with and they just work non-stop and it really gets scary when you think about it that the computer is able or machines and algorithms are able to learn so much quicker than humans are. So for example, where we at right now is a, is a product of evolution, right? We learned from history, people failed throughout history and invented new stuff, got better all the time. But right now, and he uses the example of Floppy Bird, the machine learns how to jump and then it teaches itself how to be better at the game, Floppy Bird, but within a blink of an evolutionary eye. Like it happens so quick. People right. needed thousands of years to get where we're at right now, but machines, they're going to take like a couple of days. And that is crazy. And that is crazy. The learning process of, of algorithms and machines, that should be the thing. Um, and it's called deep learning. That should be the thing that freaks you out. Yeah, I remember it, it. It took me weeks to get a decent score at Flappy Bird. <laughs> <laughs> my, Flappy Bird um, is my favorite example because I think the people were crazy <laughs> about Flappy Bird. I mentioned oh, it in the podcast, was, but it's score, ridiculous. The pe- it was such a hype. They took of the app. They took the app of the app store because it was too aggressive. People killed each other. They and after it was gone from the app store, phones that still have Flappy Bird installed on it rose so much in value they got sold on ebay for thousands of dollars i remember that and there was like these little like alternative apps but they're all shit they're all shit i, I actually got a decent one i would what's it really? called i got it yeah I got it. you got it on your phone actually yeah it's, it's called flippy dunk <laughs> it's, the only phone, it's, it's the only game i got on my phone it's called flippy dunk I just might <laughs> just to talk about that games on your phone. That's a waste of time. Don't download any game on your phone. It's a waste oh, of time. <laughs> don't don't give me that. Don't be don't be that guy that plays games on your phone. Don't be that guy. Not even Candy Crush. I hate Candy Crush. I'm sorry, but I hate. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, but like the most, you just gotta have one game on your phone. I guess. I guess I play <laughs> Subway <laughs> Surfers once in, in a while. Situations, you know. There you go. Yeah, we get off topic here. Season three, what's going to happen season three? Yeah, I actually want to talk about that as well because I have yeah. already a couple of podcasts um, that I recorded for season three. But again, I want to give myself time to actually work on those and set up another really interesting things. I'm going to have a, a really good interview on, on, on Wednesday and then I'm going to drive to San Diego again um, to talk with some guys over there. So it's going to be another five episodes. It's going to be really interesting. Um, and yeah, you guys going to see it's, it's, I hope I, I plan a lot of things for that. I, again, I, I'm trying to get like involved my, and I think that's one, one thing about why I also like my own podcast a little bit. Um, why, why I'm kind of like convinced of the good quality of my podcast is because I try to combine all like, kind of like my creative side with it. I try to combine my kind of like my artwork with the podcast and, 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 and put a lot of work in like the marketing aspect. And I'm also trying to get into like um, clothes, closing designs and stuff like that. And, and, and I just came up with some artwork for some merchandise and, and I want to hand that out. I don't want to sell it or anything, 
but it's just going to be another platform where I can, you know, like where I can use a form of some things that I like to express myself. And I think, I think that's what, again, that's just stuff. Like, I don't really care if people like it or not. I'm just going to do it. It's just something that I like. Sure, yeah. just going to do, do your thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, you got to do your thing. So you mentioned season three. Can can you give us any more hints? What, what can we expect from season three? Can you give us a little preview at all? Season three is gonna be better structured. Is gonna be more informative, I think, and it's gonna be again really diverse. You're gonna deal with um, testimonies, projects, and topics that are really all over the place. So you will have talks about feminism, maybe, but then on the next episode, we will talk about urban farming or we will talk about the death penalty, but it's still going to be oh, wow. topics. And I want to focus on that. that kind of like go hand in hand with things that are happening in Germany right now, but also things that are happening here in the States. And, and that is something that I hold myself accountable. But again, episode three is going to be really great it's going to be really good yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah excited I'm, for that. For I'm, I'm looking forward to it already so theo i imagine you know what's coming next right yeah because we worked on this together and we really wanted to put failure in a different light and start here start rap stories so yeah we started off with that thought now it's your turn. So oh, tell us about a time that, that you actually failed at something. And what was it? Like, how did you react to it? And mm. how did you overcome it? If you overcame it at all, or how did you handle it? Oh, again, and I say, um, people, they don't fail enough. And I think that's really true. And actually, all my failures in life are really small compared to what other people have to go through or what other people had to go through in their life. But of course I had issues, you know, like not only with the podcast, but also like on an individual basis. So one thing I always kind of like, I think that shaped me was when I was 16, 17, 18, you know, like I wasn't really a very successful tennis player. You know, my perception of, for those of you who don't know, I play college tennis and, um, I play college tennis in a state uh, in America and my perception of who I am in tennis was always the opposite of my results. So I hold myself to really high standards, but I did, I, I never had that level. And so I was losing way more matches than I was winning matches. And I was putting way more work into that whole thing than others who potentially were more successful so then I got injured really badly so I wasn't even quite sure if I would make it to the states in first place but kind of like what happened in the states I all of a sudden start winning my matches and I got way more successful than I used to be in tennis and I think again that was something like a like a like a hole I really had to dig myself out it was a really bad time because I remember I was also really isolated from my friends because I was putting in so much work. So I could really relate to the things that Ben said. I was a social outsider for a long time. And because of the work that I was putting in for tennis, because of the many reasons I said no to 
whatever it was. And, and again, I, I was fortunate enough to have good results here in the States and, and kind of like work my way out of that hole. And so I always tell myself, yeah, it's going to be patient. But again, it's, I hundred percent believe in the fact that if you want to achieve something, you probably gonna be able to do it. And I see when, when people fail, it's mostly because of they weren't consistent about it or they stopped believing they were, they started doubting themselves. And so what I picked up from this experience was basically a, a, a really positive self-talk. I'm really convinced in the fact that if you tell yourself that you'll be able to achieve something, you're more likely to achieve it. And just believing in yourself, it's, it's, it's key things, guys. I know we all read it on a daily basis on some inspirational quotes, but that's really key things in life. And, and especially on the self-talk, I'm really big on the positive self-talk. You got to tell yourself that you'll be able to push through and you'll be able to make it. And even with a podcast, I had a, like a couple of weeks ago, I had really like, I didn't have any, like any setup for season three. I didn't have any interview planned. And all of a sudden on one day, there were three people telling me that they want to be on a show and all these three people I wanted to have on the podcast. So sometimes it really, you have to go through a, a really bad phase of your life but then it's a quick moment it's just maybe one day it's maybe one message and then all of a sudden you're back on track and to be honest i lost a lot of motivation during the last couple of weeks to work on this but then boom there was just one day where a lot of things went went the right way and i had all the motivation back and i was back on track and i was like heck yeah this is so nice love it absolutely love it that's great that is a great experience who like it's it's awesome that's great yeah i believe it that's that's great i I love listening to you talk about that just now um but anyway i want to kind of broaden that question a little bit and like give it a little add-on to that whole area thing Mm. was there ever a time that you thought you had failed at something even though it really wasn't like that after all even though you actually didn't fail and if so like how did that shift come to be like when did it make like click like what 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 was that moment that you realized that you were just like having a bad mindset toward it that's a really tough question that's it's it's really not easy but i think Um, I could give a potential scenario that I'm thinking about. And again, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself, to be honest with that whole podcast. I want it to be good, of course, Mm -hmm. but then let's say it won't work out. Let's say I won't make it. Let's say I will stop it. I will stop my podcast. People probably would think, yeah, he failed. But then for myself, I learned so much just from talking to the people because it educates me really well. You know, I told you I'm doing a lot of preparation. So I started probably a week before my interview, I start diving into this into the topics. So even though I might be forced to stop this whole project at some point in my life because of other events that are going on or because of personal things, I still educated myself 
by a lot. And I think that is something no one can take away from me. But also, um, I'm really big on making your own experience. And, you know, like I'm a business major and I never really like all the stuff that the professors teach us in class. I was always I always have the perception that you will learn more from going out there and doing it. And a lot of I think a lot of the stuff that I'm doing right now is going to help me um, once I graduate and once I need to start preparing for the real world, because I mean, I, I, this is going to be a whole nother topic. But I feel like most of the stuff that people teach us in college doesn't really have anything to do with what's going on in real life. Yeah, I can relate to that. I kind of have the same opinion on that topic. Mm. And, and I think except for like one or two professors of mine, I, I was a psychology major mm. at the same university that he was currently attending. And, and really what I think is that most of what I know about psychology is are things that I actually taught myself, like books that I chose to read podcast that I choose to listen to, like research that I chose to do, really just maybe like 20%, I would say, actually come from sitting in the classroom, listening to my professor speak, really. And, but I think that's also kind of on you. And, and like, I think if that's what you get from the college education, that really gives you an edge. If, if you develop that, that thirst for knowledge and that ability to self-educate yourself, I think you're really way ahead of the game. And, and just, um, I'm not saying that you should, I'm not saying that you should sit in class and someone is really having a good time on his motorcycle. (laughs) But I'm saying, I'm saying that you shouldn't be in the classroom on your phone because yeah, bro, like, screw this, screw whatever he's saying. No, no. Oh, like sure, you should have yeah. an open-minded, you should be mm-hmm. open-minded and try your best in school, of course. But that yeah. I'm also saying that probably the most stuff you learn is coming from self, from just experience. And that's another thing. That's, that's why I like doing this podcast. Of course, it's important what's on the podcast, but what's also important is the things that happen around it, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. And just encourage everybody to really self-educate yourself. Go like, go read a book. If you're listening to that podcast, like, go pick up a book right now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, anyway, so Starstrap Stories season three is coming in January. Stay tuned for that. It's going to be epic. Hopefully, and I think we're at a good point to conclude this podcast. I say. Right. It's it's been real. I love talking to you. We should do this more often. We should for sure. No, I mean we. I mean for the people that don't, it's like it's really nice. We started this project together, but we still talk a lot. I mean, like besides all that, like Michael's still helping me with a lot of my podcasts. Just go over certain topics and like kind of get ready. Um, and we still talk a lot, and I think it's really good. We should definitely do that more often. Just even record something and then and i again like even for season three like i'd love to already invite you to be the host of the best off again i think it's, a, it's it's kind of funny that you celebrate your comeback today and i think it's really good i, I love think this epi- episode was really fun as well uh do you want to talk about where you can find me on social media or should i do that <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's on you. I think you already got that down now. Like the whole. Yeah, I know <laughs> that part. Right. rating and subscribe. Like I think you already right. got that by memory now. But all anyway, right, just for some to change it up a little bit, go to your Instagram and search for Stars Drive Stories. It's that really nice profile picture with the yellow letters. And exactly. You can find Stars Drive Stories across any streaming platform. That means Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Music, um, you and you know, you want to know one thing that I found out apparently is super important for podcasters. It is Wait. when people Don't tell so, me it's LinkedIn. No, it's not. I mean, LinkedIn is is nice. It's a nice platform, <laughs> like it. But I'm saying, like, if you listen to podcasts right now, make sure that you really subscribe it. That always is a huge help, and also leave a rating, guys. I know all of my listeners are really good on ratings. I appreciate the feedback that I got so far, but it really helps um, just giving a couple of stars and, and yeah, leave a subscription to stay tuned. I hear you guys in, in January. Where Stars Drive Stories season three coming out in January. Tune in. And thanks it's guys for listening to this bad, best off, I think. That was really great. Yeah. It, was, it was fun talking to you, Michael. I had a great time, yeah. All right, see you right. guys soon.